We are back once again at it again, Ricks. Horror movie review show, Ricks. Rated R horror movie review show where we review all things related to horror. But tonight, part three of the fall of the House of Usher. Murder in the Rue Morgue. Tonight episodes have entailed for us. Do we have demons? No demons. Demonic possessions, perhaps, are in order tonight. Ghosts. Apparitions. Possessions in general. What's in store for us tonight? Let's find out. Tonight's episode, part three of The Fall of the House of Usher, as I just mentioned. And I'm going to be very honest with you. I know what you're going to say. I can tell already. Can you? Well, I mean, I think we're going to skip the, we're going to skip the things I liked and the things I didn't like because you said you, you, you weren't going to do them because, you know, it's, it's kind of like the same movie style. But I mean, you could still do it if you want. Yeah, yeah, we'll just mention them along the way. Let's just jump right into this one and not delay the inevitable. The story. We pick up the story. Uh, well, you know, here's, you know, we're really grunge, my guess. Is that, is that Peter Griffin from Family Guy? It is. I love that show. This episode... This episode felt a lot like the last episode, and I hope they don't continue this. I felt like the difference, there were differences between episodes one and two. I think episode one set the stage for some of the events that are to come, but the differences between episodes two and three, just I didn't really feel like it. In fact, they sort of actually start in a very similar fashion, as we're going to get into the story immediately. I'm gonna just going to point that out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go point that out right now. They're very similar in terms of structure and the way they're flowing. And this one actually felt kind of slow. And this is an hour-long episode. And by the way, we're, we're like pushing into like eight hours worth of content for this show. And But you say you like my Flanagan's work. Aren't you excited that you got like eight hours worth of material to cover? Normally, I would be excited. And not that I'm not excited. I think uh, there's a lot of story to be told. But I'm going to be honest with you. I, I just didn't really... I just didn't feel like this episode... Well, you know what? I'm just going to come out and say it. The wrong sister died. Oh, you talk about Count Mill. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. She's kind of my favorite, honestly. She's like uh, probably the least crazy or weird in the whole bunch of kids. I don't know. I just think I like her the most. Yeah, I agree with you. So the wrong sister died. Uh, and I'm a little disappointed because now, you know, that character is not going to be, apparently not going to be in the rest of the show, but uh, it is, it is what it is. Anyway, let's get into the story. So there's another flashback and now you're familiar with, uh, uh, with Roderick and, uh, you're familiar with Ligadone and you're familiar with all that stuff. And, uh, in the last episode, uh, we, we talked about the, the relationship, uh, between the young Roderick 
and um, his boss at uh, you know the existing facility and uh, you know and how that uh, played a part into how he became who he is later in life, right? And so as I just mentioned earlier, this felt a little bit like the last episode. Well, felt a lot of it. Felt a lot of it. Not a little bit, a lot of it. Felt a lot of it like the last episode. And so we actually open up with a scene between Roderick and Rufus Griswold. And it goes a little something like this, if you remember this quick. Oh, I remember, but let's hear it. Let's see what you got. So... Roderick is, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's steaming. He, he's, uh, he's back in Griswold's office, Rufus Greenwald. And uh, he's just ripping into him. And he's like, now, Mr. Greenwald, Mr. Rufus, I understand you're the CEO, but I heard some things. I got some information that you went behind my back and purchased the Ligadone manufacturer. And my partner purchased him too. Now, you can't just take credit for somebody's idea like that. That just isn't fair. Mr. Greenwald, what do you have to say about this? Well, you know, I gotta tell you, Roderick, I liked your idea. I really did. I didn't initially like it, but I like it now. And, well, young man, you're not in any position of, of power. You weren't exactly going to purchase the manufacturer of the Ligadone, were you? What was your plan exactly? <laughs> you were just going to waltz in here and... <laughs> and I was going to make you a partner and uh, at Fortunato. Is that what you thought was going to happen? Are you going to make me here with like, some big shot and give me all the good ideas? And, and now you're going to have a, <laughs> a... A seat right next to mine? Roderick... You're a smart guy, all right? I like you, but let's be real. That was never going to happen. And uh, this, goes, this goes on, and we won't get into too much of a detail because I felt like uh, you know the relationship is very well covered in the last episode, but essentially Griswold is now telling him that he bought the company that manufactures Ligadone, and the chemist who came up with the idea has no right over the medication considering he, he works for that company. And the company now owns the entire process of making the medication. It owns the formula for making the medication for Ligadone. And now because Fortunato purchased that company, now it's all part of uh, Fortunato. And in the very least, he offers, uh, well, he offers Roderick you know, a small token of his appreciation for what he calls words. Now usually, young man, Mr. Roderick, you know, nobody's going to give you anything for just a few words. But because I'm such a great guy... And because I really respect you and your family, on your mother's side anyway. She's Italian, isn't she? My mother? Yeah, she's full Italian. She's Sicilian. What does that got to do with anything anyway? Oh, nothing. Nothing. I just, uh, I just appreciate it. You know, I'm Italian too. So, actually, I don't think he says that. I don't, I don't think... Are you sure this is accurate? Maybe maybe a little bit... Uh, maybe uh, we're... Uh, in, in the Maybe we're going into uncharted territory here and uh, adding things to the story that weren't exactly there. But again, this was a, you know, this wasn't exactly the most uh, exciting episode. I felt like we're just rehashing things that we already saw. But anyway, you know, and they go on. And, you know, I like, I like you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a $500 check just for, for bringing me this to my attention, this Ligadone thing. And, uh, and well, you know, 
No, don't be angry, young man. Mr. Rufus, is I just don't understand. Why such disrespect? What have I ever done to deserve such disrespect? I came in here on the David daughter's wedding and I bring you a gift the way that you're supposed to. Now, hold on just a second. Did you just bring up my daughter? I don't have a daughter and it's not her wedding day anyway. What are you saying, Rufus? I'm sorry, what are you saying, Roderick? I'm confusing myself because of all the crazy things you're talking about. Roderick, I've had enough of you. Here's your $500 check, and I'm going to move you to the 10th floor so you're a little closer. You know what? It's not all bad news for you. You get $500, you go home, get your girl something nice, and, uh, you know, maybe we keep corroborating you and I. And that's how it went. You sort of... Gave him, uh, you know, a finder's fee for the Ligodone, which was supposed to be his idea, Roderick's idea, and changed the entire future of Fortunato, and it sort of did, because, well, now they own it. <laughs> so, Roderick's uh, shit out of luck. And then, again, very similar to yesterday's episode, or rather to the episode before this, there's a scene where he goes back home and he starts talking to his wife again, and Madeline, again, urges him to, you know, to keep, keep the old chin up. Now, Roddy, you got to keep that chin up. That Griswold, you know, he played you fool. He played you like a fiddle. But that's all right. You're learning. And don't you worry. Time is on your side. We've all done back time. So you'll be just fine. Did she really bust into that song? At the, no, no, I don't remember. that. Yeah, she did. She did. Just watch the episode again. All right, I'll wait. Anyway, we flash back to what? Back to the future, Marty! Are we going to use the same old jokes we said in the last episode? I mean, I think it's appropriate considering it's the same episode and stuff. It almost feels like we're doing Back to the Future Part 2. If you recall Back to the Future Part 2, oh, I love those movies about the DeLorean and the time travel. But you know, time travel in Einstein's universe is actually pretty interesting stuff. You can actually calculate traveling into the future. And I'm not going to get too mathematical or technical about this, but time travel to the future is actually very much possible in Einstein's universe. But traveling to the past, well, now that's a different animal. Maybe we can have an episode on time travel. I would love an episode on time travel. Love it. Anyway, flash forward to the future. And uh, now we have a scene where Hank Pym, Luke Skywalker himself, Mr. Mark Hamill, arrives at the scene of the horrendous orgy and the, you know, what's left of the people who were badly burned and disfigured and just stuck on the ground. There's just death everywhere. And it's gruesome and it's disgusting. Oh, and it was a beautiful thing. Probably the best thing of the episode. Anyway, he's looking for evidence, obviously, because, because, you know, uh, a family member died. Perry died. And uh, as it turns out, uh, you know, there's somebody else that was also there. Morella, as you know. Oh, yeah, Morella. Yeah, absolutely. She was there, too. She didn't, she didn't leave the way of when Verna told her. Verna told her, honey, you gotta go. But Morella... Didn't pay attention. And so anyway, as, uh, you know, as Hank, him, 
walks through the remains of the terrible, terrible so-called accident, but really it's more neglect. He sees and finds Perry's body, who has that mask that Verna was wearing before she left. She put it on him, as you remember, and he identifies, Hank identifies Perry, and takes his phone. Really what he was looking after. But he also notices cameras everywhere. See, now Hank, he's a smart guy. And continues to walk amongst the dead. Further walking. Walking still. And suddenly, something grabs us. Like, oh, Jesus! Just scared me with the jump scare. And it happens to be Morella. She's alive. Runs out of the facility and tells everybody, We got a survivor here! Bring in the first aid! And sure enough, they rescue Morella and they take her to the hospital. And I think the only other part in this uh, particular part of the story, the only other part in the particular part of the story, how many times you're going to say part? The actor who got this part. Oh boy, you're just going to keep using that word. No, I won't. I'll stop. I'll stop. The only other important thing to point out here in this scene is that it leads to uh, a visit. Well, once she makes once uh, you know once Morella makes it to the hospital, her daughter Lenore, ah Lenore, what the raven, Lenore, daughter Lenore shows up to the hospital to visit, and there's a you know Frederick is there. I think Hank was there. Maybe it was Camille. I don't recall. Anyway, she asks to visit her mother, and her mother's in this amazingly protected room. She opens, draws the curtain, I should say. Boy, you really, you really want to make sure you use the correct verbs and words when you speak, don't you? Well, we must try. We must try. Draws the curtain open, curtains, plural. Draws the curtains open, and she sees her mother there, or what's left of her anyway. No skin, bandaged up. Recovering, thankfully. Physically, at least. Oh, I see what you're hinting at. She's gone lost her mind, don't you think? Wouldn't you? I think so, too. I think maybe I just wish I would have just, you know, kicked the bookie, to be honest. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. I don't think so. Life is life, man. Well, you got a point there. Anyway, look. Lenore is... Drawing the curtains and sees her mother and her mother's bandaged up. And her mother begins to, uh, to loose it, is the best way that you can describe it. Starts taking the bandages off. And what you see, and you, you barely see this, but you see her disfigured face and arms and body, and it's disgusting. And obviously, because of the chemicals that weren't actually acid, as we find out later. Roderick explains this soon enough. But she's definitely disfigured and not well mentally at this point. We continue. Uh, another scene with Dupont. Was that that French gentleman? That's Dupont, absolutely. So the scene with, uh, you know, this is a continuing theme and trend. The scene has been established. We're in this beautiful old dilapidated paint is peeling super dark but not too dark candlelit home former home roderick childhood home 
of Roderick and his sister Madeline, where Eliza once tried to choke him. Are you going to throw the choking thing again? I feel like we almost have to now. Where Roderick was choked by his mother, Eliza. Oh, mom. Oh, Lord. You're choking me again. You might as well just get it over with. Oh, Lord. I'm, I'm choking. I'm dying. Oh, I can't breathe. And it's a conversation again between Roderick and the U.S. Attorney, U.S. Assistant Attorney General, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, somebody correct me on that. Some of the listeners. I think I keep getting that wrong. Oh, the listeners will correct you. There was a comment the other day about the red blood on that insidious movie from somebody. They said that you said that he painted the red door, but he actually didn't paint it. He caught himself, and then the blood painted the red door. I read that comment, too. Listener, if you're out there, we're reading your comments. Anyway, it's Roderick, and it's DuPont, and they continue to talk about, uh, you know, this, the deaths of the children and how this could have been prevented, this particular one, Perry's death. And this is where we find out, in fact, that it was an acid. It was some chemical byproduct of something that they were using to create, you know, uh, medication or something that Fortunata, they, they deal in dirty stuff. And it was a byproduct. And the reason it was up there in tanks is because way too toxic to get rid of it under normal circumstances, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, the plan was to demolish the building and eventually used the demolition of the building as a front for getting rid and disposing of these super highly toxic uh, chemical byproducts of the procedures that they were using for the procedures that they were performing. Boy, that's real vague. Man, they, they're sort of vague about it, honestly. And this is where, you know, that uh, that chemical byproduct was tied into the main line by somebody's uncle's uncle. No, what is this? Somebody's cousin's cousin's cousin? What did uh, Roderick say? I think it said cousin three times. He's like, somebody's cousin's cousin's cousin. Is that you, Roderick? I think so, yeah. I'm not, I'm not great with the voices. I'm going to be honest with you. All right, well, you know, that's cool. Not everybody is. I know, I know. I mean, I could try again. I'll give it a shot. All right. I, I, I think, oh, it's just getting worse. Never mind. Never mind. I'm just not going to do it. All right, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Anyway, this is where Roderick reveals that, uh, you know, that the chemicals were there because they didn't get rid of them that they were supposed to. They wanted to avoid. They, it's not, it wasn't that they couldn't get rid of the chemicals. It was the, the fact that, you know, they carried hefty fines and potential legal action against them. So they just hid them, essentially. And this is what wind up killing Perry and deforming Morella. And then there's this scene here further on. You know, I like to put these scenes together because they're few and far between. You only see this like two or three times, but there's this huge dialogue that I actually find kind of annoying, to be honest. Dupont says something along the lines of, uh, you know, the old expression with the lemons and things. Oh, when life gives you lemons. That's right. Dupont's like, or actually Broderick's like, well, you know, when life gives you lemons. And Dupont immediately answers, yeah, Mike Lemonade. And I try. He immediately answered with that. But of course, Roderick goes on this giant diatribe of, you know, the things that you must do before you make the lemonade. Uh, you call the you call the Kardashians. Uh, you put it up on the Instagrams, the X, the Facebooks. You write a movie about it. It's trending with the hashtag. People wear it. 
Lime is the new diamond. The, nest, the new scent of the century is lime. All perfumes smell like lime. Beds are lime-colored. The TVs are green lime. Limes win an Academy Award for the best picture about limes. And then, and only then, do you make the goddamn lemonade, DuPont. Yeah, it is really where it is when really long. I mean, we get the point, you know. You 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 make a profit before they make the lemonade. I got it. I got it. Yeah, that was the point. Anyway, uh, fast forward uh, to another scene now where Camille, our favorite character, Camille, everybody. I love Camille. More Camille, please. Where Camille and the family are putting together some kind of plan for using Perry's death as sympathy. Remember, they're still under investigation by the U.S. government. They're still being sued for all the wrongdoings that uh, Fortunato has been, uh, you know, allegedly uh, in uh, guilty of. Oh, that's right. That's still happening, isn't it? That's right. And because Camille is uh, head of a PR firm, she's trying to spin. This is the word. Ah, uh, spin. Yeah, spin me round, round, baby, round, round. Wow, you know that, huh? Yeah, I mean, I like music, too. And they're trying to spin this, you know, story of their brother Perry into something sympathetic that could potentially help them win the favor of the American people during their trial of their dirty, dirty drug business empire at Fortunata. And uh, Roderick determines that he doesn't really want Camille to do this. He wants somebody else to do this. Someone from outside. That might have been Hank. I don't remember. But, you know, it's either Hank or, or, or Roderick. And they're trying to determine, or rather they're saying that somebody outside the family should take care of this. It shouldn't be the internal family PR firm. But Camille says otherwise. And Camille wins the favor of Madeline. And because Madeline has a lot of pull in this family, I mean, essentially she is the Fortunato Empire, honestly. She's the brains behind the operation. I think the Roderick is uh he's close, but I think Madeline is the person who's really, you know, pulling the strings and, and really making things happen behind the scenes. Anyway, Madeline gives the go ahead and Camille starts putting together a campaign to seek empathy for the uh Oh my god, you forgot the name of the family? I did. Oh my god. What's the name of the family? Do you recall? Yes, it's called Usher, the House of Usher. Sorry. And so the point is, is that they're seeking, you know, empathy while their trial is. And this is classic stuff, you know, like you're being sued by somebody. So you want to garner up as much sympathy from the public as you can. And now they're going to use Perry's death to garner up that sympathy. And, and, and that's kind of it. So she wins Madeline's approval and goes ahead and does it. One of the first things she needs to do is prepare the family to make statements, and because her brother, because, because her brother, uh, Jesus, what's his name? One of her brothers, the uh, I think it's Leo. Yeah, Leo, Leo, Leo is the gaming mogul who actually doesn't make any games. He just pays other people to make games. This was made uh, was clearly stated. I remind you of anybody? Ah, uh, your man like that. Like some CEO that just kind of buys a company and they, they pretend they're like they're really smart, but like all the smart people are doing it. Yeah, exactly like that. Do you know anybody that likes I mean, I kind of do, but should I say it? Absolutely, you should say it. Have no fear. This is our fucking show. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of Elon Musk. <laughs> 
I might not do this bad company and I just want them to the ground. I just read that, you know, they might take away that X now. It's called X now. Twitter's called X. I mean, they lost billions of dollars by changing the name to X. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not some genius billionaire, I guess. I don't understand. But now they're going to take away potentially X out of Europe because they don't meet regulations or they're under some regulatory investigation, a lot like Fortunato. And to avoid it, they're just going to take away the X. From Europe. Well, isn't that an interesting parallel, huh? I guess that's very close, even even with the with the regulatory stuff, yeah. Well well written show. But anyway, in order to prepare Leo for the incoming interviews that he must be doing again for the press campaign, full press campaign to garner up support for the family, she goes to visit uh, Leo, who, by the way, uh, he's super drugged uh, I don't know if he was already on drugs By the time he got there or she got there But he's definitely always using a ton of drugs And it's emphasized quite clearly So she gets there And I'm not going to drag this scene out She's preparing him And you know they start to sort of bond a little bit And they're actually talking about their family And how they were both kind of bastard children And when they finally met Roddick And how old each other was And it's just kind of honestly Eh Anyway, in the midst of all of this, well, there's a scene later where Leo, well, actually, they just get super drunk and super high off of all kinds of crazy drugs. And the day after, there's this crazy scene where you finally start to say, and by the way, almost no horror in this episode so far, as you can tell. Still a little, it's still somewhat entertaining, but no horror. Anyway, this is the only, just about the only horror you get. If Leo wakes up after his drug-fueled night to find blood on his shirt and blood on his face and he opens up the refrigerator grabs grabs some orange juice drinks it and he notices blood on the bottle of juice where is this blood coming from? so he follows the trail of blood which leads him to Leo stabbed and dead Apparently he killed him. We don't really know, but Leo was stabbed and he was just dead and there's the trail of blood. And Leo belongs, by the way, Leo's this cat and belongs to his boyfriend. Uh, and then, uh, I'm sorry, Leo's not his cat. Leo's Leo. <laughs> I mean, you just confused me. Leo's the name of the brother. The, the cat's name is Pluto. That's right. He killed Pluto. He killed Pluto and, uh, you know, in this drug-fueled evening. And, I mean, we don't really know if he did. Uh, but his, uh, his partner, his boyfriend... What's his name, Julius? Yeah, it's Julius. He's even got a Julius Caesar haircut, too. You study the Greeks? Oh, yeah. Oh, I love everything. Aristotle. You'll name it. Have you... Have you ever... Now, don't lie to me. Okay? Have you ever read the rhetoric? Oh, actually, I have, but that's a different story for another day. Anyway. uh, Leo. Dead Pluto. Julius... And uh, the evidence is hit, and that's it. Move on from this scene. That's the closest thing that we got to any horror, I think, in this scene. Well, there's one more, but I think this is the this is closer to horror. And then we move on to another weird scene, uh, which uh, I don't know how to talk about this because it's just a uh, you know it's it's just Tamerlane, and we saw one of these scenes, which just kind of glossed over it in the last step. Oh yeah, you're not mentioning this one at all. So Tamerlane's got this fetish where she wants to see other men, other women have sex with her husband. 
and uh, you know whatever floats your boat, I say. But you know, you know how I feel about this kind of stuff in in, uh, in movies. Oh yeah, oh I get it, I get. It. We don't have to say anything. Anyway, there's another scene which again makes me believe that this is a very copy paste episode. And there's a scene of her, and now the escort arrives. But the the escort this time around is not the typical escort. Now it's Verna. Why is it Verna? I don't. We don't really know right now, but. Verna is a much better actress at this role playing of uh, you know being a wife that comes home uh, while Tamerlan's husband you know well uh, while they pretend to be a married couple and Tamerlan sits over there you know pleasuring herself and Verna shows up and she does a tremendous job so much so that Bill's like awestruck oh my God are you asking me about my day well it was actually kind of tough. And Tamerlan's just over there like (laughs) 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 Making weird faces and like slouching on her chair like (laughs) And uh, that's sort of it for that scene Um, But then we move on to I think the, the most important thing of the of the episode here there's a scene where camille is trying to figure out who the mole or the rat is in the family and she suspects that it's victorine right um because of what's been happening with the animal heart stuff that hasn't really been working out and she discovers that you know or there's there's the rumor allegedly by her staff that she recently fired her staff who she also sleeps with by the way part of being part of her staff uh, that, uh, you know, the, the stuff that Victorine, and Victorine's her sister, right? Oh, yeah, Victorine is the surgeon. And Victorine's heart mesh stuff is failing, and she's just faking it, and she's throwing up these, uh, you know, these chimpanzees on which she's performing these surgeries in, and pumping them up for of adrenaline to make it look like this stuff is working. And so she's faking it, and they're all at the room morgue, right? Yeah, that's, that's exactly where they are. So she's trying to find evidence to support this claim or support this, uh, you know, this allegation that this is what's happening. And she, in fact, goes to uh, the morgue. But I'm going to hold on a second just that because there's one more important scene that I forgot to mention. There's another scene where Verna shows up to the hospital where Victorine and her partner and her girlfriend, uh, what's her name, Dr. Reese, work and in the midst of, you know, waiting for each other, I think Dr. Reese was just finishing her shift, and Victorine shows up, and uh, in all this, Verna shows up, pretending to be the perfect candidate. She has a heart murmur. She needs this mash that she clearly has no idea about. And of course, Victorine pounces on her. What? Yeah, tell me more about your hot troubles. Oh, don't you worry, dear. Don't you worry that you just missed Dr. Ray's. I know exactly where she is, as a matter of fact. I will take the paperwork and put it on the top of her desk so that you will be the first person she sees when she's good and ready to start seeing patients again. Don't you worry, love. I'll take care of you. I'll make sure that everything's all right with you. And Verna's like, wow, you're so nice. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And of course, what she's really doing is she wants to be 
or rather, uh, Victorine wants Verna. Well, she doesn't know who she is yet. Verna doesn't know, or rather, Victorine doesn't know who Verna is yet. Verna is scheming at this point. You know, Verna's the raven. She knows what she's doing. So Victorine thinks that this helpless woman is going to be the first candidate for the human trials that they've been wanting to do. And, uh, and she schemes, and, you know, and that's where that's left. So she will become the first test subject for the heart mesh that they're developing. If you recall from the last episode, Roderick has Catacel, which this heart mesh would potentially help alleviate and solve. Okay, and Victorine's working on that, but every single time that they think they're going to make a, a you know, a, a discovery or something useful in the heart mesh, they fail, and the chimpanzee dies, or at the, at the very least, they get locked up in a room morgue and pumped up full of uh, adrenaline. Adrenaline, that's right. And now we finally move on to the end game of this episode. Camille is investigating these claims by Hayden Turns, as I just mentioned, that the heart mesh is failing and the evidence of these chimpanzees being trapped and being kept alive and pumped full of adrenaline is at the room morgue. And she shows up to the room morgue. And you know, her 911 Porsche Carrera, do you like those cars? I love, car you know how I love cars too. You know, the most important part of, uh, uh, Infinity Pool was the cars. Right, right, the Infinity Pool. But go on with this one. Go on. Right. And she reaches the room morgue and she enters the facility. And guess who's sitting there? At Varna. That's right. Verna is posing now as a security guard, warning her and asking why her and Victorine were not closer. They could have been powerful together. You know, the two bastard daughters of Roderick teaming up against everybody, them against the world, them against the Fortunato Empire. But she chose not to. They chose to be adversaries instead. And as she's walking, the door refuses to open and Verna tries to warn her not to go in there where these chimpanzees are pumped up full of adrenaline. But she proceeds and she plays her card. She plays her rich woman card. She plays her Karen card. You better open this door because if you don't, I'm going to call your boss. You make so little money and I'm just going to record. I'm going to call the police on you. Okay. Where's your manager? You know that I make more money just by standing here and talking to you than you do in your entire life. Now open the door. And Verna's like, fuck it. I'll open the door. And Verna opens the door. And Camille enters. And she sees what she was looking for. She sees the chimpanzees pumped full of adrenaline, scars everywhere, in just horrendous condition. Chimpanzees look kind of sad. Yeah, they did. But you know what? I, they were not real. That was just real good shit, G.I., yeah, which, you know, kind of makes me a little more ace considering they were not real chimpanzees. Me too. I thought about that too. And she's wandering and she's taking pictures and continues to take pictures and she walks towards the end of the room and all of a sudden Verna walks in and jumps as a chimpanzee looked rather odd don't you think oh she totally jumped like a chimpanzee would jump and uh, you know i think that was the dead giveaway what was supposed to happen yeah so she jumps on the table and again continues this dialogue of how she shouldn't be there 
and essentially trying to warn her, right? Anyway, end game. Verna. It's not actually Verna. Verna is the chimpanzee that escaped. And as, as soon as Camille points her phone up to this escaped chimpanzee and snaps a photo, the chimpanzee snaps and rips Camille's face off. Face off. And that's the end. Camille's dead. And we find out the next day, her Porsche 911, a beautiful white Porsche 911, still in the parking lot. And now Camille is the second victim in the fall of the Usher Empire. She, now it's Perry, now it's Camille, and uh, probably Victorine is next. I don't know. I haven't seen the next episode, but we'll find out. But that's it. That's it for tonight. A rating. I felt like this was a copy-paste. What do you think? I think, I mean, they were adding some interesting things, I think. But, you know, I, I kind of agree. I just, not, not enough new material. For copying paste, we're going to give this episode a 6 out of 10. Not the worst thing I've ever seen, but also not the most original one. If you're still here listening, we really appreciate you stopping by on another exciting episode of Rick's Horror Movie Review Show. Rick's Rated R horror movie review show where we review all things related to horror but tonight the fall of the usher empire episode three a murder and a rumor thank you so much and until next time have a great night